Kamenetsky Brothers, 710 ESPN. Uh, as we you know continue staying local this week, talking about Kobe, uh, thinking about it, and kind of I think today, Andy, also as well. You know, we have some some news to uh, to to talk about. The Lakers are actually going to be back on the floor today, practicing. Uh, media availability is in, in you know a couple hours, uh, so we'll hear over the course of the day from the Lakers for the first time. Um, Bill Orm from the Athletic is going to join us at eleven. The Lakers met yesterday uh, as a as a as a team as an organization, um, and there was some some stuff with LeBron James that came out of that that you know is is significant. I think for how this franchise and how this team is going to move forward, not just you know looking ahead to Friday when the Lakers take the floor for the first time against Portland, but just. Generally, like what you do now um, to kind of fill the, I don't know, fill the void is the wrong way to put it, but you understand what I'm getting at. Yeah, we're also at 1030. We're going to talk with Chris Rye, the co-founder and president of Zambezi, uh, an ad agency in Culver City that Kobe was actually a founding partner of right. and was involved with for nearly 10 years. Uh, Chris and Kobe worked together for several years, and in particular, Chris got an idea of not just Kobe's personality and drive, but also the creative side of Kobe. And, you know, that's something that you and I in particular have always been really interested in and really admired about Kobe. So, uh, we'll try to get that perspective. Kind of a good window into sort of the early days of, of that part of Kobe Bryant's life that would become so important to him, you know, as his career was winding down and certainly in his, in his post career. But, um, also began, by the way, before uh, the show even started, uh, you and I taking the time to apologize to uh, LZ and Key on behalf of the NBA for the dress code. Uh, yeah. they, they were talking about that earlier, the the I, NBA dress I code with Malice in the Palace. I was directly responsible for that. Policy, no, I feel like you and I actually had very little, little role. Nobody consulted us no, at all. No, I mean, no, nobody ever consults you and I about anything like here, much less, you know, through the league with that with that dress code. But we did feel it was appropriate to apologize yeah, to I just, guys. Yeah, I just, and, you know, look, it would have been, I would have been punishing myself because that is how I dress. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, true. Man. Back in the day. <laughs> no. <laughs> Can you imagine anything? Just like no, there is literally nobody driving around who would believe that for even a second. I've commented you on one item of uh, clothing, one article of clothing. Do you know what that is? In my in, in the entire time I've known you, for probably four or five years now. One time I've probably come, a pair of shoes. No, it's that hat you that little oh my Quebec hat. Nordiques hat. Yeah, I, I like that for some reason because no, it's a great hat. That's why you. Like it. Brian used to wear those three button long suits just everywhere. That, that's everywhere. all he'd ever wear. The three the button long the ones where you could look like you could fit ten or twelve yeah, people. Like as, as Key said, where you go to the tailor shop and use all the fabric. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but well, it's like they all they all looked like you were like doing the thing where you were like trying to. Like be a little kid with a bigger kid attached to the top of you, and like smuggle people in and out of buildings. I mean, and you lot, guys also lot. dress up as cops. Well, I like the way you guys. Dress up <laughs> oh, on Spectrum, the good cop, bad cop segment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Key has uh, commented that he feels like uh, we look a little too comfortable. I I am always afraid of doing things that are going to damage my street cred. <laughs> so <laughs> perhaps we should move on. Um, so we'll get into some of that, a lot of that stuff today. Uh, you know, we'll take a peek into Kobe's sort of uh, early, the early days of of Kobe's creative life, and we'll talk to Bill at eleven uh, as well. And I think we're going to tomorrow, and we'll be back tomorrow, Andy. Um, we are hoping to uh, to catch up with Andy Bernstein, the great NBA photographer uh, who knew Kobe very well, and also was one of the a guy who got to see different sides of him 
uh, kind of behind and the scenes. And also just got like to document so much mm-hmm. of the history that Kobe ended up creating and you know the the all the memories that you have you know see over the years through pictures chances are Andy took them yeah so we'll do that we'll talk a little bit about the the stuff from last night from T, uh, the TNT broadcast which was very moving and, and very personal from Shaq from Jerry West uh Dwayne Wade other people sharing their thoughts and remembrances of of Kobe on that pregame show the halftime show postgame show it really was quite remarkable um but this thing that the Lakers did yesterday, they got together, Andy, for the first time uh, since the, the events of the weekend. And Frank Vogel, and this is uh, as reported by Bill Orm at The Athletic, and we'll talk to him at 11. Frank Vogel was at the front of this luncheon and kind of opened the floor to anybody who wanted to tell some stories, wanted to – and 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 as – as Bill reports it, there was just this sort of silence. Like nobody quite knew what to do. Nobody quite knew uh, what the right thing to do was. And after a few seconds of that, LeBron stands up and he goes and he tells stories and he's talking about the Olympics and uh, you know the, their interactions with each other, playing against each other, all these other things. And that kind of got the ball rolling and it kind of got people talking about Kobe and sharing toasts and doing these other things. And one of the things that that LeBron supposedly said in terms of of understanding the burden here is that God gave me wide shoulders for a reason. We talked about a little bit yesterday. What this does and what this is for the Lakers, for LeBron, is really significant. And it's hard to think of anybody who could understand what the obligations are and what the burden is, and be more capable of of carrying it than LeBron. Yeah, I mean, if anybody is up for it, it's LeBron. And what makes this so challenging beyond just you know the specific context of Kobe's sudden, you know, unexpected tragic death is that this is this had been a question for the Lakers for years, including while Kobe was still with the organization. Mm-hmm. Just the idea of. At some point, we're going to have to transition to the next chapter of this franchise's history that doesn't directly involve Kobe. And how do you do that when you're talking about somebody who's such a big part of the organization, has brought them so much success, is such like a, a cult of personality? You know, I mean, the, when Dwight Howard, the first time he was with the Lakers, he was put in as bad a messenger as he was for this because Dwight, on a lot of levels, just wasn't ready for this. He was put in a bad position of you know, potentially transitioning as the next face, but doing it alongside mm-hmm. Kobe in a way that it was never going to happen. Like part just of the re- work. Right. Part of the reason that the Lakers could never get big time free agents, you know, for the last few years that Kobe was there, beyond the fact that Kobe was a shell of himself as a player and you know the the ramifications that come from you know not having him at that level anymore it's just the awkwardness of that dynamic like if you are say LeBron James or Kevin Durant or some of the people that they they courted you can't really be yourself as a player and as a person alongside Kobe in in that role transitioning and even even after Kobe retired it still was just this amazingly daunting challenge. Yeah, and and trying to figure out like who the next guy is because like Kobe's influence, as we've seen this week, doesn't go away. 
um, just because he retired. Uh, you know, the ethic of Kobe and the ethos of Kobe, like what you were supposed to be in this city as a, as a, as an athlete, not just, I mean, really in, 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 after 20 years, it wasn't just as a, as a Laker, um, you know, how you were supposed to perform as a star player and, and as an ambassador to the city. And that applied to everyone. It applied to players on the Rams. It applied to the Dodgers. Like you were supposed to do it a certain way and play through a certain, uh, you know, play through pain and have us have a, a commitment to excellence and a drive that reflected what Kobe brought to the city. And that doesn't disappear just because he's not on the roster anymore. So like you needed somebody like LeBron James to come in and be the the next star because that's like you know he's a made guy like nobody's questioning those things Nobody, about LeBron. nobody's questioning them but we saw we saw early on there was resistance from Laker fans and Kobe fans about the idea of LeBron specifically there was some taking sure. taking that torch and for everything LeBron has done there was there were a lot of people who were just excited like okay like no, they, they there were. were some resistance most I mean I think it's fair to say most people were really excited that LeBron I, James was coming to play for the Lakers but the, even though if they were excited there still was an element of mixed feelings I think to it just because Kobe and LeBron had been spent had spent so much time being compared to each other in a lot of Laker fans' eyes, LeBron was getting more props and respect compared to Kobe than they thought at the very least before he'd even earned it. Mm-hmm. You know that he was already leapfrogging. You know, Kobe. it wasn't like when they were playing at the same time; it wasn't fair the way right, that they were exactly. Sure. But like for everything that LeBron has done, he's obviously been a franchise face before. He's never actually taken the torch from anybody. Because in Cleveland, there was no one. There's no torch. And as great as LeBron was with the Heat, and he was finals MVP, that franchise was always Dwayne Wade's. So LeBron's, well, let's, LeBron's on, never hold, actually hold done on this to that before. for a second, because there's, I, I don't know if I totally agree with that. I need the break to think about it. Um, so we got uh, Chris Rye coming up at, in about 20 minutes, Bill Orem at the top of the hour, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, ESPN LA. Bill Orm is going to join us at the top of the hour uh, to talk about what the Lakers did yesterday in El Segundo getting back together for the first time since the the helicopter crash that killed Kobe Bryant and eight other people over the weekend. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. Uh, we were talking about LeBron James, Andy, and like he said yesterday, uh, Bill reported that you know, he stood up and started that process of telling stories and kind of stepped into a little bit of a, a void of silence there where nobody was quite sure what to do. And one of the things LeBron said, you know, reflecting his understanding of what this moment is, uh, is that is that God gave me wide shoulders for a reason. And it's, you know, it's important to remember, like, Saturday, it was Saturday that, that LeBron passed Kobe on the all-time. And we, we got this real deep understanding. Like, LeBron explained it in 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 detail what kobe meant to him uh as a as a player coming out of high school as a, a model of excellence as all these other things that 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 kobe did and you know they had another conversation later uh, uh later that day um and you know so that you know these are people who are pretty tightly connected to each other he's his whole contact the whole context of lebron's place with the Lakers now and and his role in helping move the organization forward moving the fans forward and and finishing this season let's forget the Lakers are in first place right now and, and you know have real title aspirations 
I, I can't begin to think about like what all of this is for him. It's a lot. I mean, there there is a lot on LeBron's, as he said, wide shoulders right now. And, and there would have been a lot anyway because becoming the franchise face of the Lakers carries with it implications and ramifications under any context. And then when you are the guy who is transitioning the Lakers into the next chapter from Kobe Bryant, that has implications. And, and but, it, but it was always in the context of like, he never, see, when LeBron arrived, it was never like, I'm going to replace him. No, never, no, yeah, but, so. but, but it's still though, it is daunting because you don't have to say it because you know it. And there's, that is part of implicitly, implicitly what is happening. Oh, sure. And that's and, what I'm saying. But now he, right. he kind of does. Right. Like, yeah. He's, a in, he's in a place. That's my point. He's in a place now where it's being more openly acknowledged because there's no other choice. And it's, I was thinking about it today, like it's this equal parts, and I think it always was this way, but it's, it's more magnified now on all three levels. It's a responsibility, it's a burden, and it's an honor. I think all three of those elements were there from the beginning for LeBron, and now all three still remain, and it's, it's just stronger on all those counts. Yeah, I heard Sedano talking about this yesterday. I mean, I think that from a practice, there's like sort of the what we know about LeBron kind of thing that goes on like in the short term, like what what's going to happen on Friday? And George was saying, and I and, and I think he was talking to Ramona about it, and Michael and it was was here. It's like I think one thing is he's going to go out and just crush it on Friday. Like I I, I feel like this is going to be one of these games where LeBron is just locked in, understanding what the, the the people in that building are going through, all these other things. And I heard some people talking about it yesterday, like, you know, they, they shouldn't have canceled the game. You got to get out there and play. You got to do all this other stuff. Like the players need to go out and play. Forgetting it's not just the players. It's the whole organization that stages these games and has to be ready to put them on and all and figure out how somebody's got to put together the remembrance and the, the video board. Like those people are, are hurting. Like, People need time. Well, they also they need all those people need to be ready to be in front of people, right? And they do their jobs. Like, yeah. and so if you need two more days, you need two more. And it, but eventually, you're going to have to play again. And when that time comes, and it's Friday, LeBron, it just feels like LeBron is going to understands the moment. I don't in similar ways that Kobe. Died. I think he absolutely understands. And I, and I hope. And I hope that like people, it doesn't become like a kind of thing where like LeBron has a tough game, misses some shots, and it's like. You know, I mean, well, like, you know, it, it's funny you say yeah, that. The Brian, expectation now is so big for such a huge game for me. It, it, you say that, and when when that period was going on, when the Lakers and the Clippers and the NBA were still deciding what they were going to do about yesterday's game that ultimately was postponed, you would see a lot of people expressing sentiments that they should play because that's what Kobe would have done. Mm-hmm. Like th- this or is that's what, what even worse that's what he would have wanted. Right, it's what Kobe would have wanted, it's what Kobe would have done. And beyond the fact that we don't actually know that for sure, it is worth reminding that these people aren't Kobe. And you know, there's always this expectation, you know, in sports but especially with the Lakers that you should be handling everything the way Kobe would have done it. And this is a reminder that they're not Kobe. And, you know, every, everybody has to have that space to be themselves in mm-hmm. all of this. And especially somebody like LeBron, who already was going to have that type of pressure to be Kobe-esque, you know, a lot of different facets. 
like this particular one, it is, I think, really important for everyone to remember he's not Kobe. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And, but I, I, I cannot think of a, like, the Lakers are, have a lot of hard things that are coming. And being the guy who is the star of the team who needs to move things forward in that way is an incredibly difficult job. And there just isn't anybody better equipped for that around the entire NBA. If you have, if you have to put your finger on a player and say, I, we need that guy. Like no this question. is, it's, it's LeBron. No James. question. Um, so I don't even think there's a close second. Yeah. I really, I don't think there is either. And so, uh, a, a very interesting chapter begins, uh, really this week for LeBron and Los Angeles. Um, moving forward, something we'll keep talking about between now and noon. Uh, Bill Oram coming up at the top of the hour to talk a little bit about the news of yesterday and where the Lakers are going to you know, kind of be going over the course of the rest of the week. Next, though, we're going to talk to uh, Chris Rye, who worked with Kobe Bryant uh, at Zambezi, uh, an advertising company that Kobe was involved with, and really give us kind of an idea of the genesis of that creative side of Kobe that was so important to him later in his career and then after his career is over. We'll do that next. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, 710 ESPN. Kamenetsky Brothers, Andy Kamenetsky, Brian Kamenetsky, and joining us is Chris Rye. He is the co-founder and president of Zambezi. They're an ad agency based in Culver City, and Kobe was a founding partner with Zambezi. He stayed involved uh, with Zambezi for nearly 10 years, and we want to just get some perspective from Chris about what it was like to work with Kobe in in this particular capacity in a creative uh, space and also just get some of the stories. So uh, joining us right now, Chris Rye, how are you, man? Excellent. Hey, Andy. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Sure, absolutely. So uh, I guess to begin, how did you and Kobe first meet up, get together, and and what were your first impressions of him? Yeah, you bet. Um, I was very fortunate at various times and certainly in my career journey, but was working at Wyden and Kennedy, which is a famous ad agency that handles the Nike business and got to know Kobe and, and LeBron as well. Once upon a time making Nike campaigns and developed a rapport with Kobe. I think we, we saw the big things in the same way and, and developed a kinship along with a creative partner of mine, a guy named Brian Ford. He's very talented. And, and the three of us sort of put Zambezi together back in 2006 and I think there's been a lot of conversation this week about all of Kobe's outsized traits, you know, from work ethic to passion to creativity. And one of which that I think can't be ignored is the long horizon vision that he has. And he was one of the first to really ball players to really realize the power they actually had getting involved more upstream with respect to branding as opposed to just showing up on the shoot day and holding the Sprite and smiling for the camera. He realized he had a lot of power upstream, sort of in the right boardrooms, helping with strategy and, and building brands. So that sort of led to the formation of Zambezi. How did, how did you see that kind of manifest itself? Like, you know, you know, any stories and things like that that you're able to share? Yeah, just super high awareness, you know. Um, I think... Kobe also loves advertising. I think that's not a big secret. Um, and it's kind of fruit of the Nike, you know, advertising tree as, as a lot of us are. Um, but not only did he have super high comms IQ and marketing IQ, 
the as a byproduct of the circles he trafficked in, Kobe was often on the forefront of fashion and music and film and just slang, the way people are talking in a locker room, on the plane, you know, in restaurants. So he brought a lot of this um, uh, cultural IQ to what we were doing from a branding perspective as well. Yeah, and, that, and that's a really interesting point about that, Chris. We're talking with Chris Rye, who's the co-founder and president of Zambezi, an ad agency in Culver City. And Kobe was a founding partner of Zambezi and stayed involved as an investor for nearly 10 years. I know you and I were talking yesterday about the hyperdunks uh, spot that Kobe created where he, with him and Roni Turioff and Kobe, quote-unquote, jumps the Aston Martin. And beyond that, just being a really fun, memorable spot, what was really interesting about it is that it was viral. Like at a time when everyone was still, everything was focused on television, and Kobe, you really get a sense, understood where things were going and wanted to get ahead of that curve. No, no, no question. And and even that word viral wasn't really a thing. This is 2007, approximately. And, you know, again, Kobe understood all the levers that could be pulled. You know, he understood. Uh, if we make something that we now call seek out content, something that people will seek out on their own, you don't need to interrupt content they're interested in. You can become content they're interested in. And there's so many examples throughout Kobe's career, not just Nike, but with the other brands. Um, uh, really, really fascinating. And it's, you know, there's, there's two other funny stories that come to mind. Uh, also around the same time, you know, everybody's aware of the 81 point game. And I want to talk just for a second about how next level this guy was. And it's difficult to even talk about, guys. I know we're, we're all having such a hard week with it, but I think it is important that we share these stories as, as part of the healing, and I find it cathartic. But the context there, if I may, you know, this was at a time, this is now back to 2005, wasn't it? January 2005, 2006, I think. Yeah, 2006. 2006. So Kobe at the time was slated to be part of what I recall as a kind of an ensemble campaign with some other Athletes. It would have been like the Amari Stoudemire's and the Vince Carter's of the world. And Kobe was not going to get his standalone Kobe campaign from Nike. And, and you guys tell me, does that sound like him? Do you think he'd be happy? <laughs> not so much, ensemble? no. <laughs> <laughs> so we're literally on a conference call that was kind of a food fight on a Saturday night with, you know, some, some super talented execs. By the way, everybody that touches that brand you know, they're incredible uh, storytellers. And there was a food fight on the phone, as Kobe used to call it, a little, kind of a little food fight. And, you know, Nike dug their heels in and said, we apologize, we're going to do this for now. We're going to, we've got this ensemble story. And the next night was Sunday night versus Toronto. And I think everybody remembers what he did, hanging up 81 points. And again, being so close to the man, you realize that there's always another level to the mythology there's always and i'm sitting here watching this and i'm like this is him reminding our friends up in beaverton who the top dog is in addition to the <laughs> fact that it was his night and he was rolling and right. good and all that other stuff i don't consider it unconnected to the conversation that was going on in the background with nike and then what ended up um, happening well he got he got his campaign <laughs> I mean, 80, he got his 81 and he got his campaign and, and lo and behold, Nike got out the checkbook and, and it was a very happy ending for Kobe. But again, power, he understood if you pull the right levers at the right times, you know, you can, you can ultimately get what you're after. 
Um, and I was, you know, I, 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 uh, I was thinking about this the other day. This is more lighthearted and more of a personal note. The fr- and you mentioned Aston Martins and, and fast cars, you know, the very first, just so it's kind of difficult to even think about, but the first time I went to a meeting with Kobe in, in a car, it was just him and I, I think we met in Laguna beach and we were driving down to call it San Diego somewhere, North San Diego. And Kobe has, I think it was a Maybach Mercedes, you know, a, a beautiful automobile. It's like a down payment on a house basically. And, and Kobe at the time, you know, he drove sort of fast and we, he were going down to five and we're going hundred miles an hour you know, moving around and just carrying on a casual conversation. I'm in the shotgun seat and I'm a little nervous and I'm like holding on to the, to the, you know, door hand. I got a little bit of a white knuckle and I, but I don't want to be a noob. I don't want to tell him. Um, so I look over and I'm like, Hey, Cobe, do you get a lot of tickets? Do you get a lot of speeding tickets? And he thinks about it, looks over at me through these cool, like Eve St. Laurent sunglasses. And he, and he says, I get pulled over a lot. (laughs) So, of course, you envision that moment when the state trooper on the five realizes who he's pulled over, and he quickly turns into, hey, Cove, good luck against Denver. You know, slow down out there. And, uh, you know, I get pulled over a lot. Not so many tickets, though. But, I mean, God love him. He He was the king around here. There's no question. And still is. Uh, and we're talking to Chris Rye, who, uh, co-founder of, of Zambezi, uh, an advertising company out of Culver City, worked with Kobe Bryant for a long time. You, you do you have a favorite? Um, like he made so many cool spots, and like you, 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 as time goes on, like you learn, uh, you know how involved he was in the anything that was creative, the process of like telling whatever story it was going to be, whether it's for commercial, documentary, all these other things. You know the famously ripped up the the gotham chopra documentary and made everybody start over again do you have a favorite spot a favorite something that 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 uh you remember from kobe whether it's you know the puppets or the you know kobe system or anything like that i mean there's so many and he's in the canon you know for sure of, of what might be the greatest advertiser of all time and kobe's been a part of a lot of those greatest hits one that that is closest to my heart for sure and it was also around the same time as the etymology of our of our agency um, with a Nike spot called "Love Me or Hate Me." Yes, yeah. And it was written by written by a guy named Brian Ford, who again was part of it, a lot of that same guy that wrote "We Are All Witnesses," by the way, for LeBron. Same same person. And this "Love Me or Hate Me" spot was very simple, Super 8 film, very gritty, primarily Kobe working out, no Lakers uniform, no bright lights, no crowds, and it's this tone poem that Kobe read where he basically says, love me or hate me. It's one or the other. And we know this is the most polemic kind of athlete of our time. Um, you know, it's, it's it hate my game, hate my swagger, hate my fadeaway, hate that I'm a veteran, hate that I'm a champion. And then the spot ends with Kobe looking down the barrel of the camera, having just finished his last rep on the bench press. And he says, and hate the fact that I'm loved for the exact same reason. And it's this powerful, you know, he's uh, more than anybody else seemed to just impose a choice on so many of us. It's like you're either you either love him for these reasons or you or you are on the other side of the coin. And the love me or hate me piece, I know, was close to Kobe's heart. Brian and Kobe sort of created it. You know, that's one where you talk about hands on. I think they co-wrote it. I think that Kobe flew Brian down to shoot some footage and it ended up becoming something um, really lo-fi, not some big fancy production, but just dead on in terms of how it summarized that guy. You know, love me or hate me, opt in or opt out. 
Chris Rye, the co-founder and president of Zambezi, uh, based in Culver City. Kobe was a founding partner in Zambezi, stayed involved as an investor for nearly 10 years. I really appreciate the time, Chris. The, the, those are some great stories. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the the, the parting thought here is, is just Kobe's ethos was to fight self-satisfaction. And that is the thing that I'll always thank him for, giving me an understanding of what work ethic really was and the resistance of self-satisfaction and the allergy to mediocrity. You know, he was somebody that pushed everybody around him, which is now like half the planet is aware of this guy. And, and everybody is out here kind of fighting to, to unlock the better version of themselves. So I'll always be grateful. And, and there, there aren't a lot of words on our end, a lot of tears, a lot of hugs this week. And, and we thank you, you two, for being on air, helping us with the catharsis this week. Oh, thanks, Chris. We appreciate that. Um, t- take care. We appreciate it. Thanks. I love that. The, the allergy to mediocrity, like that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Um, uh, mediocrity was not Kobe's thing. No, I think that's safe to say. Got his campaign too. <laughs> no, <laughs> that is got, such got his campaign. There, there's a lot of stories. Unfortunately, my campaign, you just uh, I can't have a campaign. I want my campaign. Just talking with Chris, uh, even before, uh, cause you and I have known Chris for a while, mm-hmm. just, uh, talking with him before, eventually having him on <laughs> some other stories uh like well, there's, that there's a lot i mean you anybody who's come through here ramona you know george you know the writers and people working there's a lot of kobe stories that got to stay on the cutting room floor but not not okay for radio george would be on the button too much um all right so we got bill Orem coming up at uh 11 he'll kind of catch us up on what went on uh, yesterday in El Segundo and get us ready for the rest of the week and what's coming for the Lakers as they head into their first game uh, since the death of Kobe Bryant on Friday. Uh, next, we'll take a quick Kobe break here because there is a Super Bowl game coming up. Yeah. And it's kind of a fun one. It um, is I, a I really am fun interested matchup. In this one. We'll talk a little uh, Niners Chiefs next. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, 710 ESPN. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, ES seven ten ESPN. Uh, Bill Orem is going to join us from the Athletic in about uh, twelve minutes. Catch us up on everything that happened in El Segundo yesterday as the Lakers got together for the first time since the death of Kobe Bryant, um, and also what might be coming. Lakers are going to be practicing today. They will have media um, expected to open up sometime around twelve twelve thirty. Um, so over the course of the day here on uh, seven ten ESPN, George Sedano, Ramona Shelburne are following us at noon. I'm sure they'll have a lot of that, what, what we get from El Segundo today. So uh, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a minute. But it, there is a Super Bowl this weekend, and it's a, I'm fascinated by this game because you know the Chiefs' D is not, you know, but their offense is their offense, and Pat Mahomes and, and the run game and, you know, Hill on the outside, like all of this stuff is there, and he's so dynamic against this great San Francisco front. Meanwhile, you have this also this perception, Andy, that if the if the Niners fall behind by like three, <laughs> like it's going to be over because Jimmy Garoppolo like isn't allowed to throw a forward pass, and you know so didn't he, do a lot of it to get into the. He Super did Bowl. not, and like I, I and I know Travis has been talking about, it, and he's right. You know the the confidence that you're you know the the coach shows in you to make passes, kind of tells you what you need to know. And like Kyle Shanahan was like, okay, you got one shot. Nope, we're gonna we're gonna not do that for the next two hours. Like throughout the playoffs, that's what happened. But the only thing that makes me think of like maybe we're giving 
Garoppolo a little bit too hard a time as just like a guy who can't possibly you know, lead a team anywhere, throw the ball when you need to. Not true. I've never seen, Raj, a, a situation like this where, yeah, the quarterback doesn't throw, but it's only because the team is averaging like 37 yards a carry. Like, well, why would you throw? Thank you. And people have short memories. This season, there's been times uh, in games where they were losing, and he had to throw 34 times, uh, 35 times. He put up 350 and four touchdowns against New Orleans, you know, in the game. They're pretty uh, good. Yeah, they're not bad. Hello. Uh, another game he threw 45 times he had to throw against Arizona and four touchdowns. Well, they are bad. <laughs> okay, but my point is, right. when forced to do so, he's answered that question, I felt, this year, and he's thrown a bunch of times and they've only lost one game where he had to throw uh, like a bunch of times I believe a uh, 34 was another time against Atlanta that was like a trap game which I did call successfully I'll give myself credit a little pat on the bat but um, if you don't were have you to... starting that, that in one of your leagues one no of your I leagues? wasn't I wasn't but when he's forced to throw he's he shown hey all's not lost when I do this he's just like you said Brian when they don't have to why do it's it like, if, you're, like, if your strength there was, and identity is running run it there was, there was zero upside to having him throw because you didn't need it like in any other game you might Okay, maybe we'll go back to the to a pass here, you know, between quarters or something. We'll do it at least once. But they literally had no incentive to throw the ball much at all to get. Yeah, the but Super this Bowl. but this is one hell of an offense to be trying to play catch up against. I mean, like you have to be better than simply underrated if you're going to be able to actually come from behind against this particular offense because KC may not be an elite defense but they're not terrible either. No, they're not they're not a terrible defense. Jones back, they've so, gotten better. So you, sure. you need to be able to keep the pace with them. Keeping pace in and of itself is hard. What's Raj, what's the what's the point? Like how many points can San Francisco give up and win this game? Uh, so you're trying to ask me how many can they re- score realistically? Right. I think if the if you have to get in the 30s, you're in trouble. I think that's for because I mean, look if if they can't run the ball, if if San Francisco can't run like at all, and it's all Garoppolo passing, now you got real problems. But assuming they have a decent and semi-effective, for what it's game, worth, Casey has been worse against the run than the pass this year. They have been worse against the significantly. Run. Yes, and so like if if San Francisco is able to run the ball, some obviously you know. That's so much a part of their offense that that takes time. It chews up clock. It's all that stuff. You 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 have shorter game time to be able to make up deficits and stuff like that because they're not going to abandon the run quickly in this game. I I think it'll be okay. Maybe it's just because he's so flipping handsome. But I, I just we believe I in handsome enormous, people. I, I mean, I, it's true. I beautiful people perform better they're just better at stuff i think yeah, we can all agree well at my job uh, <laughs> but uh and, you know this is the second time and we that, believe in you rog we really do you. this is the second time that the number one passing offense in a conference has met the number one rushing uh offense in the conference in the super bowl and the first time was way back in super bowl six when uh brian first got in the industry um the <laughs> dallas cowboys beat the um the Miami Dolphins and Cowboys were the passing team. But yes, yeah, this is a rare, like a contrast of styles that comes together in the Super Bowl. It doesn't happen often. It should, it should be a lot of fun. And I think also, too, like, you know, Brian, you and I were talking about this before the show started, like, especially for LA. Like this could be just a really nice catharsis, just, just like get, something get together, fun get for together a few hours. Friends. Like there's no there's no Laker game that night to be missing or anything like that. They play Friday. They play back to back Saturday and Sunday, uh, Friday and Saturday. 
it's just like a you know get together with some buddies you know throw on the barbecue get some like, guacamole and, and, watch and let you game. let yourself enjoy it like get right. give yourself if you need it a few hours away from you know the focus that you've had on kobe and everybody understands it like and it's you're not alone it's the super bowl right it's like a great social it's not even just a football game it's a real social thing like that you know, you, everybody can kind of get together and, and, you know, this is what you would be doing. You'd be getting together with friends, you know, and if you're in L.A., you probably have Laker friends, you know, fans. And, you know, everybody can kind of do both at once. But, you know, enjoy Super Bowl. Sunday. Yes. Play the squares. Play the squares. Better go on oh, the you know, squares. Oh, I love the squares. <laughs> or, hey, you're not into the squares? It. I don't get it. So I don't even know. No, thanks. Is, wow. it, is it the shape that bothers you yeah, or just the, the gambling? <laughs> My, finally met somebody who understands gambling less than LZ and is Key. It, uh, it hexagonal Just to answer your question real quick before we break. So Vegas has the over-under at an implied of 54. So if Casey's favored by a point and a half, they have San Fran scoring about 25 points. So if you do the math, it's hard to explain, but trust me, that's how gamblers look at it. No, I understood it. No, I got you. <laughs> Brian was looking at me. No, I, no, I understood. George didn't, but I understood. Uh, Bill <laughs> Orm. Bill Orm coming up. <laughs> LZ and Key have no clue so how that, that works. Is that a hexagon? What is that? Uh, 710 ESPN. <laughs>